Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome. I'm Sheldon McLeod, and I, I wanted to just take a quick second here to um, talk a little bit about something I had mentioned earlier. I did have a COVID-19 uh, test earlier in the week, and uh, the results came back as negative. And the uh, well, province also identifying the community in which I live as one that they were concerned about. In fact, they put in place uh, some rapid testing. Uh, and uh, my understanding is all of the tests for Friday booked up, and there are still tests happening throughout the weekend. There are so many of us who are waiting uh, for that time when we'll be able to have our vaccine and be in a position where some of these restrictions can be lifted. And if you look at the Nova Scotia website, coronavirus restriction updates back on April 7th, uh, the Premier and Dr. Strang obviously will uh, give us their latest a little later today. And what struck me is that in the province of Ontario, uh, the news this week was that they were entering their third uh, state of emergency. And then, of course, that uh, province-wide stay-at-home order. And how does that square with what's happening here in, in Nova Scotia in many ways? Uh, someone who had been a part of, well, this piece of legislation, the declaration of the provincial state of emergency by the minister, uh, is subsection 12, subset 1 of the Emergency Management Act. And that's what is giving the province of Nova Scotia the authority to do this through the uh, medical officer of health, Department of Health, and someone who has been a part of this conversation with me in the past, and I'm very grateful for that, uh, is a man who, as his, his Twitter bio says, advisor to parliaments and political parties, and he is a lawyer, and he is joining this conversation with me right now. Uh, Kevin DeVoe, it's a, it's a pleasure to see you again, and I hope you're faring out well during these uh, difficult, difficult and different times for, for us all. Thanks yeah, thanks. Good to see you again as well. Um, I guess to see you mostly in the past, it was on telephone or something. So um, uh, I'm uh, I'm faring I'm faring well. Yes, thank you. I'm surprisingly so, considering most of my work was travel related. I've actually been doing pretty well. Thanks. Well, it says you're an advisor to parliaments and political parties and former politician, as we know. Uh, you represented the district, uh, the the riding of Coal Harbor Eastern Passage, uh, and that was uh, back between 1998 and 2007. First of all, do you miss politics any, at all? Uh, there's days. There's days in which I miss it, and then there's days in which I talk to local politicians and some of the more mundane things that they have to do that I don't miss. So um, it's a bit of uh, come see, come saw, if I can put it that way. Let's talk for just a second about um, the act that we're discussing. It was 2006 when that legislation was passed. And uh, you were in the House at the time. And what did they in any way envision a scenario where a, a state of emergency was going to be in, in effect for more than a year? Was that something that even came up? Yeah, see, I actually, this is interesting you bring this up. So probably about six months ago, maybe a little longer when we were all sort of you know, twiddling our thumbs a bit. Um, I started looking back on the Hansard debates on this because I was curious. I do remember when the legislation came forward. I was the House leader for the opposition. Um, it was during a minority parliament. Um, so we had a fairly robust debate. 
the main issue that came up was around the power to quarantine. So we were very much conscious. So that was on the Public Health Act. Um, and I guess I want to be clear, there's actually two pieces of legislation that are relevant here. One is the Emergency Measures Act, which is the sort of state of emergency declaration. But then the public health officer under the, and I'm just checking my notes, the Public Health Act um, has separate powers to quarantine or to limit or control immunization and et cetera. So uh, I recall particularly the act related to the public health and the quarantine issues. On the state of emergency one, to be honest, I don't remember it as much, um, but the same sort of issues would have been debated around how long we expected these things to occur. I'm not sure anyone thought it would be for more than a year, no. And maybe now in retrospect, there's some things we could have done differently that I think would have made the legislation probably more effective. Yeah, we, we touched on that in a past conversation briefly. And uh, the province of Ontario says uh, state of emergency with a stay-at-home order. The, the two seem to be tied. They've been in three. And as I pointed out, March uh, 22nd, I'm looking at the uh, declaration here, uh, the, the Minister of uh, Municipal Affairs signed this order and every two weeks it's been renewed. So we're now into, I think, 56 weeks or so. Um, what What's different about the Ontario scenario? Why is it that they've been in and out of states of emergency? And do you, is that perhaps something to look at as far as how their caseload goes compared to ours. I know there's population, there's all kinds of things to consider yeah. here, but you know, obviously how the public responds. Yeah, I think, well, let me, I mean, maybe, you know, they sometimes say when you have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Um, so in Ontario, the rules are, and I noticed this fairly quickly last year, about a year ago, uh, you can only declare a state of emergency for 14 days, uh, much like here. It can be extended for another 14 days with the signature of the Lieutenant Governor. Uh, but anything beyond that requires the Parliament, the Assembly, Ontario Legislative Assembly, to approve it, which means you have to bring them back and you have to um, have a resolution passed agreeing to it. And so I suspect that either the government in Ontario didn't want to have to keep bringing the legislature back, something similar to here, or they just felt that it wasn't, that process was such that there was an assumption that these states of emergencies won't last for an extended period of time. And so I believe in the first one in Ontario, they did extend it by parliamentary approval at least for a couple of months, if not three months. So, uh, but beyond that, I think they decided to pull back and some of the powers that they had. So here, because we didn't, this is one of my points around the legislation, we did not require that in our legislation, uh, that there be assembly approval. And so the government can just continue to issue the orders without any real accountability. What was strikes me about that is um, we are getting closer to, or at least the conversation is starting to happen about uh, having vaccinations or the opportunity to be vaccinated by sometime in the midsummer, and that uh, at some point someone will decide it's safe for us to lift this. What what powers does this state of emergency give the province of Nova Scotia, or do we have to look at it and the Health Protection Act as one in order to kind of get a sense as to how this works? Yeah, you have to look at both. So some of the powers are the power of quarantining, requiring someone to have to quarantine for 14 days. That comes under the Public Health Act, not under the Emergency Measures Act. Um, you know, some of the issues around, uh, you know, who can get immunized and who are prioritized and price gouging on medical equipment, that comes under the Health Protection Act. Um, but under the Emergency Measures Act, we have specific pr provisions related to price controls, uh, you know, preventing price gouging and uh, things like that. So it's about a, it's a mix of the two. 
I haven't had enough time to be honest to look at exactly how those orders are being issued, but presumably uh, you have uh, Dr. Strang issuing his orders, and then you also have a state of emergency order that's being done through the government directly. Yeah, I remember a few questions uh, reporters had a few weeks ago when the price of gas started to spike and, and go back up over $1.20. And, you know, people said, I thought we were in a state emergency. I thought things like this couldn't happen. Clearly, um, the legislation doesn't speak to market conditions in that way. No, no, no. It talks about gouging. So it talks about someone who is, you know, sort of, you know, uh, making excessive profit. I think I'd have to look back at the specific wording, but uh, so you, you know, it prevents those kind of things. We also have the eviction notices. I think uh, the, uh, the, I don't know if evictions are still banned in Nova Scotia, but they were for a while. And then you've also got the rent control. So there are opportunities to bring those in. I guess the argument could be made, right? We didn't really see, ex maybe there was some anecdotal examples, but I don't know if there was a clear, uh, proof of excessive rent uh, gouging in during the emergency, yet we did impose rent controls. Uh, so how can we do that uh, and not necessarily worry about gasoline or other things? And that's the other point I wanted to uh, hear your opinion on. Uh, Stephen McNeil, as the premier had said, since he uh, got rid of, or since the liberal government got rid of rent control, that it wasn't something they wanted to uh, focus on and that it wouldn't work. And then all of a sudden, as he's heading out the door, he says, yeah, we can have uh, no evictions, uh, rent control limited to 2% increase uh, until either February of 2022 or until the state of emergency is lifted. And to me, that sounds like a political use of this legislation. Yeah, I know. I agree 100%. Yeah, I don't think that this is necessarily, uh, to be honest with you, and I know this mostly because of my partner's work uh, on uh, rent control and rent uh, and uh, landlord tenant matters for years, the actual uh, elimination of rent controls in the 19, early 1990s by the savage liberal government actually was done through regulation. It would have been very easy to change that uh, on the stroke of a pen of the government. So uh, to now sort of come back and say, this is something we want to impose, actually, I find a bit ironic. Uh, but to say that this is something that, you know, needs to be carried on into 2022, yeah, I, beyond a state of emergency, then uh, I'm not really clear where that's coming from. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting the sense that, uh, you know, to tie the two together means that, you know, government can say, well, there's still an issue over housing. So we're going to keep the state of emergency into, in, in effect until who knows when. Uh, and again, I don't know what mechanism needs to happen. You say Dr. Strang's, well, we know Dr. Strang is advising government on this, uh, and, but it's an order in council. So it's the premier and his cabinet, I assume, who will ultimately decide, OK, we're ready to come out of this. If And if that happens, how does that affect anyone's life? I mean, well, let me go back to the point around whether or not you can just continually, perpetually bring in a, a you know state of emergency. In theory, yes, uh, but I would suspect at some point there are criteria that need to be met, and it can be challenged in court to say we no longer meet these criteria, and the government is overstepping its, you know, its um, its its rules, and with regard to the Charter of Rights, you know, the individual rights. Um, but I guess the other part of that is, yeah, I mean, what happens when we pull out of this? Well, obviously certain powers are no longer there. Uh, this gives extraordinary powers to the government under a state of emergency. You're right. I think most of these scenarios people were thinking about would be, you know, flooding in an area. I guess there was a state of emergency, for example, in Sydney a few years ago. Remember the excessive flooding they had? Truro, I mean, uh, it could be fire. It could be, you know, natural disaster of some sort. These things are usually of a shorter period of time. But I think a pandemic could easily have been one of those. 
but maybe there needs to be a rethink over these sort of longer term states of emergency and what does that mean for uh, accountability and ensuring that the government is actually being, you know, held to its feet to the fire. Yeah, I, I've done a lot of stories over the years about process. They're not always the most sexy uh, in and in, in endearing comments or, or commentary to some, but you know, it's how the how we got here from where we were. Uh, and you know, I thought of the the crane that toppled. That was a localized state of emergency. And then there was, of course, you know, the provincial state of emergency. We have a worldwide pandemic. All of these are overlapping, and and the language in these. Uh, these bills speak to that. Uh, and, and as we discuss, you know, what's next, uh, we're close to a provincial election in Nova Scotia. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts on whether now that we've lived through this uh, and who knows whether this will happen again, but whether we need to ensure in legislation or regulation in some ways that there is a check and balance, that the premier can't just say, no, the parliament won't be meeting, uh, the legislature legislature won't be meeting this year because it's not safe and I don't want to be in the same room as reporters, so you can't even come into the room. Yeah, so I mean, that's interesting. So one of the things that is required, mandatory, is that the Minister of Justice, who's the minister responsible for uh, the State of Emergency uh, and Emergency Measures Act, has to produce uh, a report uh, to the legislature. Uh, for uh, basically uh, after the state emergency ends, basically, you know, uh, talking about what were the sort of, you know, the pros and cons or the lessons learned, if I can put it that way, from from the process. So hopefully that might spur some discussion around this. Obviously, there needs to be political will. Um, I think, you know, some sort of assembly requirement for approval beyond you know a, a short period of time i think the ontario 28 days is quite reasonable i think would be um would be uh would be a good idea i just want to say as well on the ontario one i think the other difference that people want to pick up on and you may see this sometimes when you hear them talking they both have they have um a provincial public health uh, officer but they also have uh, sort of regional or municipal ones you will often see on on, on Toronto television, they have the uh, Toronto, I think her name is De Silva, Dr. De Silva. She's actually doing this as well. Uh, so they have, so they, so for example, they just shut schools in Toronto because she declared it, not the province. So they have a system that allows more municipal uh, decentralization with regard to how they do it. Having said all that, uh, looking through the legislation, it also gives extraordinary power to the premier. He can basically, he or she, but in this case, he, he can take over a municipality and run it. He can take over any minister's duties and become that minister under a state of emergency. I mean, we don't have that in Nova Scotia, and probably given we don't have the you know the assembly approval process, that's probably a good thing. Hmm. It's a fascinating, and it's it is a bit of a deep dive into all of this. But you know, we're still living it, and we're still um, trying to stay healthy and trying to make sense of it all. Uh, he is an advisor to parliaments and political parties, a former politician himself, recovering by the sounds of it, and uh, a lawyer. So, uh, Kevin Devoe, it's always uh, so enlightening for me to get a few moments of your time. Thank you for this. Thank you, Sheldon. Take care. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.